Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside with Rod. We're going to continue our march to the Big Ten prediction and previews, and today's number 11, Maryland. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you that we do have a free contest that we're hosting for all of our listeners. It's the Beat Rod Contest, where you can make your prediction for who will finish where in the Big Ten this season. So send your email to tffinots at gmail.com. There you can put your entry in with your prediction for 1 through 14, and we'll use the seating based on what they use for the Big Ten tournament. Be sure to put your name, and as a tiebreaker, please put down how many points you think Michigan State will score against Michigan this season. The winner gets one of our free logo t-shirts and also the opportunity to come on the show after the season is done. Entries are due, obviously, before the Big Ten season begins, which is in mid-December. So get those entries in as soon as you can. If you want to wait till you hear all the preview, that's fine. That should still give you plenty of time to get your picks in. All right, so let's get into the today's show, Rod. And we're going to talk about Maryland, which is uh, a weird season because I think your prediction was that they're going to do much better last year than they did because just kind of like the wheels fell off real early. And it was a very strange situation where Mark Turgeon uh, left part of the team after only eight games. They went five and three. And it was sort of like the uh, I'll, uh, I'll dump you before you dump me sort of uh, boyfriend girlfriend situation where he just left Maryland before it all happened. And I mean, Maryland's season finishes 15 and 17 overall. They were seven and 13 in the Big Ten. Number 83 in Ken Palm, which is number 61 in offense, number 112 in defense. And they just struggled as much as you'd expect a team that ended up as where they did in the Big Ten. Uh, they were got to the line quite a bit at number 71, which has sort of been typical for Maryland teams of the past, uh, and hit them at a pretty decent rate of 73, uh, number 73 in free throw percentage. But again, this is a weird thing that happened, and then Danny Manning t- took over, and then, of course, as the interim, and then he's since departed, and they've gotten a new coach, Kevin Willard, who comes from Seton Hall. So I guess, you know, why don't you just give a little synopsis of, of what your thoughts are in last season? Uh, you know, I, I certainly had them picked to be a bit better than they were, but I also had said that, I, you know, they received some preseason hype because they did return some key guys and more importantly, they added a couple of transfers that people were very enthusiastic about fats, Russell and, um, uh, the big kid from Georgetown. Kudus Wahab or something. Yeah. Wahab. And I do remember saying my question was, I thought Maryland in the COVID year was pretty tough by year's end, they were really hard to play against. And a lot of that was down to their captain, Daryl Morsel. He really, I felt like his, his attitude, he was a great individual defender, but his toughness, his attitude 
really um, infused that whole team. If you remember what they were like, Michigan State had that great stretch down the close of the regular season to earn their way into the tournament. And in the midst of beating Michigan and Illinois and Ohio State, they lost to Maryland twice. Yeah, right. I remember and that. so, and and that, those were games where it was just, God, you're not used to seeing this. Maryland just being tougher than Michigan State, but they were. But more so elected to transfer to Marquette rather than play out a fifth year in Maryland. And I do remember saying, I wonder about that. On paper, they looked better, but that team had developed a character to it that I wondered about, will it, will it disappear because some of the key guys or the key guy who sort of led that was now gone. And that's exactly what happened. Um, Mark Turgeon had a, uh, a very difficult tenure in college park. You know, he replaced Gary Williams, who is the only guy to have ever won a national title at who played at Maryland and, and not that by the end of his tenure was he without critics, but let's be honest, Gary Williams, you know, give or take lefty Drizel is the most successful coach of Maryland history. And it was always going to be a tough act to follow, but Mark Turgeon never really seemed to fully get it in that program. And I don't mean that he didn't understand how to win, but, he just never found solid footing. And I think more often than not, Maryland ended up being less than the sum of its individual parts during his tenure, certainly during the Big Ten portion of his tenure. I can't speak as much to when they were in the ACC because he had a few years in the beginning of his, his time there. They were in the ACC. But, you know, they had that first season of the Big Ten where they were very much a surprise and ended up contending for the conference title kind of everybody's it was a shock and then after that more often than not maryland would get hyped in the the preseason because they tended to recruit pretty well and yet they'd end up disappointing once once games actually started to be played and so i i think for him maybe his his situation was made tougher by COVID, you know, if you think about the year where the tournament got canceled, Maryland tied for the Big Ten title. It was the only title he won at Maryland. And they would have had a chance to go on an NCAA tournament run that maybe would have put him in a better position at long term in that job. I, I don't know that I would have expected that to happen because if you remember, Maryland was way out in front and they stumbled down the stretch allowing Michigan State and Wisconsin, I believe, to tie them for the Big Ten title. Uh, so it wasn't like they were coming into that period on fire. They were playing poorly, but they had had a really nice season, and it certainly wouldn't have shocked me if they had been able to go on a bit of a run in the tournament. Well, that didn't happen. Lost a lot of key guys from that team. You know, Cowan graduated, Stick Smith went, Six Smith went to the NBA. And so then he had the following year where the, you know, they had that toughness to them, got to the tournament by the skin of their teeth, but got in. Um, and then last year there were expectations they could be better. And the start was just not good. 
and he he saw the handwriting on the wall. He was going to lose his job. That that he had been on the line earlier in his tenure there, and I think he knew it was coming. So none of that was a surprise in terms of the ultimate conclusion. I think the timing of it was a surprise. Once that happened, it was entirely predictable how the season would go. It would have been shocking if anything else had happened. You know, you have an interim coach who, by the way, had just been brought onto the staff anyway in Danny Manning. That was his last year, was his first year on the Maryland staff, if I recall correctly. So what are the odds that a guy who's brand new himself is going to be able to galvanize this team? Um, I just don't, none of it was surprising. So they went through the season they went through. And then we come around to one of my favorite subjects to talk about, not just in regard to Maryland, but a lot of schools. And that is, where is the disconnect between (laughs) how attractive your fan base believes your job is and how attractive it is in reality to the pool of coaching candidates? Maryland fans, I think, believe that they have an elite job. And there are some reasons to think that that might be true. The biggest is that they sit right in the middle of one of the truly elite talent producing regions in the country, the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia, tons and tons and tons of high school talent comes out of there every year. If you can hold your own and frankly, Turgeon did okay in recruiting. That was not a problem. Um, But if you can hold your own recruiting that territory, you should be very good every year. There's also the fact that I would, although Maryland is kind of like a lot, you know, a Kentucky or a Michigan state in that their football programs are very big deals too. But Maryland fans, I think, consider themselves to be a basketball school and they've certainly had more sustained success in basketball than football. So that part's true. So those two things I think would, would lead one to conclude, well, this is, this is a really good job. And I do think it is, but there in the course of this job search, there were some elements I wasn't even fully appreciating that I wasn't aware of. Like I didn't know they didn't really have a dedicated practice facility. Yeah. That's That's a huge negative. Now they're, they, they're trying to get one built, but I don't think that's been fully funded yet. And that's not a surprise because Maryland is an athletic department. If you know anything about it, money or lack thereof is the entire reason they're in the big 10 to begin with. They were in a a gigantic hole financially when they were in the ACC, and they saw the Big Ten and the Big Ten's TV money as their way out of it. Well, over the long run, that's going to be the case. But remember, they've been kind of phased in, along with Rutgers. They haven't necessarily been getting full shares of Big Ten uh, TV revenue. So they're still not in a position where they can go out the way Michigan State or Ohio State or Indiana or whoever and just say, hey, we're going to sink, you know, a couple hundred mil into a into <laughs> a, uh, a practice facility. Right. So they're still working from behind in that regard. And then there's the fact that, you know, this may change as a result of all the other things going on in college athletics with the way um, conferences are shifting, the way the very nature of governing bodies for these schools to play under are changing. But for now you can make an argument that, Hey, why should I go bang my head against a wall in a league like the big 10 when, you know, I'm in a situation where it's easier to win where I'm at. And that's a valid consideration. 
Then there's also the money. And this is the biggest thing. I think if you are a coach at a, at a major, major conference school, so let's say definitely the Big Ten, definitely the SEC, but also the ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, and Big East for basketball purposes, financially, it is going to be difficult for another power school to offer you so much more money that that alone gets it done. And this is what people miss when they start talking about who you can get. So given all of that background, you know, there were unrealistic candidates that got floated for the Maryland job, which is not a surprise because they always get floated for these jobs. You know, Nate Oates was a guy their fan base talked about. Well, you're never going to get him from Alabama. He's already making a ton and he's in a, a, league, a league that I think is a little easier to win in than a big sure. 10, not much, but a little, um, that was one name. There were others ultimately in the end, they did get Kevin Willard. And so they got a guy to move from a big East program, which to me, actually, if I was a Maryland fan, I would look at that and say, okay, that's validation that we are in fact a desirable place to coach. I just felt like he wasn't a sexy enough hire for their fans. I think Rick Pitino might've been the only guy who would have satisfied some of those people. <laughs> and that was never going to happen. Um, you know, or, or some pie in the sky, you know, Mark, you're going to get Mark few to move from Spokane or, you know, some unrealistic. Uh, there was actually one interesting name that I thought might have a shot, but I never saw it get any traction. And that was Andy Enfeld from USC. And I say that only because I believe he, I believe it came out. He went to grad school at Maryland. So he had done some time in the area. I thought that one maybe as opposed to most of these, there might be something, but um, it, it just never went that way. So they get Kevin Willard. And again, Kevin Willard is not a sexy name, but here's the deal. Kevin Willard has been to the NCAA tournament five of the last six years that they played one. And he would have been to six out of seven because they were on track to be there during the COVID year. Um, that was a year. That was a team. In fact, if Michigan State fans, I'm sure remember early in the non-conference MSU beat Seton Hall on the road in a very big win. They had their great guard, Miles Turner, have a great game, and MSU just managed to beat them with a, in part with a huge game from Malik Hall yeah. shooting the three, which he has never quite duplicated since in one game. Kevin Willard's overall record, I think he was just, he was like 48% win percentage in conference games in the Big East. But that also includes his first like six years when he was struggling to get that program back to relevance. And it took him a while, but once he got it done, hey, six out of seven, which is essentially what it really was in the tournament in a competitive league. So it's not easy to win Big East games. And I think his winning percentage over those last seven years was up by like 10%. I think it was at like 58%. That's, that's impressive. That says something. So, I understand he's not a superstar hire, but that realistically that wasn't going to happen anyway. So given what's realistic, I think they did pretty well. And now the question is, can he do the job in recruiting? Can he land the kind of kids that a place like Maryland should be able to land? And then how quickly does he get that thing back on track this year? You got to give him a mulligan, but you know, at a place like Maryland, honestly, starting in year two, I think the heat's going to 
going to get turned up. So is he able to deliver in that kind of environment? You know, it is the big East is a great league Seton hall place you can win at, but this is a step up. I guess the other negative would be he's only, uh, the furthest he's ever been in the tournament in those five tries was he got to the round of 32 once. So his, his March record when getting there has not been great. Um, but you know, that can change in a hurry too. So I think all in all, I think it was a solid, good hire with the potential to, to look pretty good five years from now, but also the potential to maybe kind of be more of the same. We just have to see. I don't think he's yeah. a slam dunk, but I don't think he was a bad hire by any. Yeah, I feel like every year Seton Hall is an 8-9 or 7-10 team on right. that line. And so, you know, you would not expect making the Sweet 16 that often <laughs> from that position because you're playing a one or two seed in the second round. And here's the other thing. we Although they're also, you know, they're in the Big East, so they're in a good basketball league and all that, you do have to consider when it comes to recruiting, all else being equal, Willard should be able to get a better caliber of player at Maryland because Maryland is the flagship school in the region within which it sits Seton hall, you know, Seton hall and Rutgers, I guess are the flagship schools, quote unquote, New Jersey. But the reality is neither of them hold the kind of position that Maryland does in its region. And consequently the state of New Jersey, which is also a fantastic talent producing area just gets raided by everybody. So they're not comparable situations. I think he should be in a better spot at Maryland to get a better level of talent. Now, is that enough to make the difference and say, well, he'll be better than a perpetual seven seed at Maryland than he was at Seton hall and therefore in better position to win games where the, where he'd be expected to go further as you're alluding to Um, time will tell. Sure. Yeah. And I always feel like, Maryland is at least with Mark Turgeon, they, they felt like a Penn state does, you know, an analogy is from, from a football standpoint where James Franklin sure seems like he's got the talent. He's got all the parts and he just never can quite do what you expect them to do. They, they never quite accomplish what you'd expect. Obviously Penn state from a football standpoint has more tradition than Maryland basketball, but you know, the, the talent rich area, the sort of the dominant yeah. region, you expect them to sort of be a little bit more than they've managed to, to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> We, we've talked about it a few times already in these previews. I think it is an underrated thing, and it's really, really important, in my opinion, that when a coach comes into a job, they establish what the program is going to be about. And the only thing I can definitively tell you that Maryland was about during Mark Turgeon's era was they were really, really good at getting to the foul line. <laughs> Trying fouls. <laughs> that was more annoying than anything else. It, it made for a terrible brand of basketball to watch, in my opinion. Just awful. Mar- Maryland was always, and you look at the talent that went through there, and it's just hard to believe, but they were a tough watch to me. You know, I don't, as a basketball fan, I don't want to see fullback dives to the rim and the guy gets fouled a lot and he ends up shooting a boatload of free throws. That's not that's not fun basketball. Maryland and fun were not synonymous with each other during the Mark Turgeon years. So we'll see if Kevin Willard can make a change. Or I would say the other thing was during most of Turgeon's era, I did not feel that Maryland was capable of matching the best 
Big Ten opponents in terms of physical or mental toughness. Like even that year where they won the Big Ten, the one year, <laughs> the way they collapsed down the stretch, that's just not, you know, Michigan State's program or even some of the other better programs around the league. You know, God help me, Michigan, um, Ohio State with with some level of frequency over the years, Wisconsin with some level of frequency. When, when you give those programs an opportunity, they seize it, you know, with Maryland, it, it just felt like there was a softness other than Turgeon's last full season where they were just so talent depleted that it was always only going to be kind of a, a decent year, not a great one, but at least, at least I could look at that team and say, boy, I admire how, how hard they play and how tough they are to play against. That was not usually the equation with Maryland. Yeah. There were times where they were really easy to play against. Well, let's go into the players in the team. Then we'll first start with the players who are departing fats. Russell, he was a, he was a transfer brought in for Rhode Island. He was, he played a lot. He shot 41, 35, 79, averaging 15.1 points a game. And he averaged about five free throws a game to, to the point of uh, Maryland shooting lots of free throws. He wasn't great in turnovers assists. He had 119 assists to 79 turnovers. So, you know, not quite two to one. And uh, I guess he sort of was a good example of why Maryland wasn't quite as successful as they had hoped for last year. I think it it's the season is embodied by Fats Russell. Fats Russell had a lot of hype coming out of Rhode Island. I think he had been, he had definitely had a season where he was first team all Atlantic 10. He might've even been Atlantic 10 player of the year. One season there. I don't recall for certain, but if you had watched him and I had, I'd seen him play a little bit. I was familiar with what he had done, what the track record was statistically. This was all easy to see coming. He was an incredibly athletic guard, very, very fast. If you probably noticed that last year um, and, and a dynamic player, but a guy with, you know, I tried out the old cliche hundred dollar body and a 10 cent head. <laughs> the decision-making was questionable to say the least. When your point guard is putting up 110 assists to 79 turnovers, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Because that's telling me you have a guy who really isn't invested fully in making his teammates better uh, or, or isn't capable of doing so, which, you know, it's a distinction maybe without a difference in terms of what it ultimately means for your team. So he was, he was certainly enough of a physically gifted kid to make you realize why people get excited about him. But if you watched him play at any length, I think you understand fully why there was skepticism in a few quarters, at least going into last season about what he would mean. You know, I, I think I looked at him and I said, well, that's what a point guard of a seven and 13 team in the league looks like, <laughs> you know, could put up some numbers and his numbers aren't, some of the numbers aren't bad. You know, he shot decently. He was a leading scorer. He did some things well, but just ultimately not a winning player. Well, next we go to Eric Ayala, a 6'4 wing and averaging 14.7 points a game on 38, 34, and 69 shooting. And he's a guy who on occasional games would really could hurt you, but uh, just lacked the consistency, I guess, and just 
it was never like, someone who just felt like he should have been more than what he was. At least that was always my feel. I would say in total of, uh, of all the guys in the Mark Turgeon era that I watched at Maryland, I would say he was probably the most disappointing relative to perhaps what he could have been or what he teased that he could have been. He had a really good sophomore season that year that they tied for the big 10 title really shot the ball. Well, he, he had good size, wasn't ever really a point guard, but was capable of at least helping on the ball at times you know, could show to be a good defender occasionally. I mean, there was a lot to like, but the consistency in his shot, and I think the consistency overall with the way he applied himself to the game, the way he impacted games, rather, uh, was just never there. And so he didn't have a bad career. Just like last season, he didn't have a bad season. It was fine. But you could see glimpses of him being much more than fine and that he just could never find that level consistently. And I, I think that's why, you know, Maryland would, would look back at the four years he was there and a key part of their team in all four and say, well, we didn't really do as much as we could have. Yeah. They needed more out of him and he just didn't provide what they, yeah, needed, especially not all on his him, senior year. It, right. Yeah. Yeah. Not all on him, but uh, he was a big part of that disappointment, in my opinion. So now uh, we'll go to the uh, previous mention. Kudos Wahab. He's a, he was a seven foot transfer from Georgetown. Started thirty one games for the Terps, but uh, averaged only seven point seven points a game, five point six rebounds a game, shooting fifty six percent from the floor and sixty seven percent from the line. And was a guy who uh, just had trouble, I think, staying in the game and from a conditioning standpoint. Very disappointing. He was coming off a really good year at Georgetown. It's funny he has since transferred back to Georgetown. You occasionally have seen this. He's at, we had one last year in the Big Ten with uh, Peyton Willis at Minnesota. He had been at Minnesota, transferred to College of Charleston, or maybe they're called Charleston now. I can't remember. <laughs> they might have dropped the college off part and then went back to Minnesota. But at least for him, it was a different coach at Minnesota. The first go around and the second go around with, with Wahab. He played for Patrick Ewing, comes to Maryland, then goes back to play for Patrick Ewing. Uh, but he had real success at Georgetown the year prior. And so a lot of people were hyped about him coming to last season, just like they were with Fats Russell. There was a lot of talk about, boy, this is the best one-two punch in the portal that anybody got. And he, too, he struggled more than Russell did. His numbers are, again, they're fine. But this was a guy who was supposed to be able to go head-to-head with Coburn and and Edie and Dickinson and Jackson Davis, all these great centers in the Big Ten. And he just was not close to that caliber of player. And again, conditioning had to be a problem, in my opinion, because he didn't even play 20 minutes a night. So a disappointment, to be sure. And again, has opted to go back to Georgetown for his final year. And I think this is a good example of you, you don't always get what you think you're getting out of the transfer portal. You can see Absolutely. people on paper, right? And that this people always worry about and lament similar recruits, right? You have someone who looks great and you know, their highlight videos and their AAU ball or whatever, and they get to campus and you see all the flaws and you see the problems and they may not be what you thought. Same thing can happen with these transfer players just as Absolutely. Easily. And even, you know, we spend a good deal of time here talking about how is someone who is transferring up, meaning they're going from the mid-major to the high-major level, going to translate? But it's even true 
if you're going high major to high major as Wahab did, you know, it playing in a different system with different teammates against different opponents, all of those things matter. And it's not, I say this all the time and it sounds like an easy line, but it's true. Way too many people think this is a video game. It's not, these are actual human beings. (laughs) And so it doesn't automatically translate the way you think it will. There's a risk involved. You know, and and I think that's what happened with him, as you saw that it doesn't always translate neatly, even at the high major to high major level. And um, so you can't count on these things. The portal is is not a panacea. Yeah, I thought they were all Heisman candidates who were on the other side of the portal. Uh, yeah. We'll go on to Xavier Green, who is a six six transfer from Old Dominion. He's a role player, averaged only two and a half, two point three points a game, two and a half rebounds a game in about half a game, 20 minutes a game, and shot 38, 36, and 60. Yeah, he did about as much as could have reasonably been expected. He was actually there primarily as uh, a defensive option off the bench on the wing, and he did a pretty good job in that way. He shot decently. You know, the percentages are fine. Wasn't a high-volume shooter. But, yeah, not, not much to complain about with him, but also it's not as if you lost a great deal of production. Uh, next would be Simon Wright. He was a grad transfer from forward from Elon. He played in 20 games and averaged only three minutes a game. Yeah, again, same, same, but even more so. Like, you're not really <laughs> losing much. And finally, is for players' parties, Marcus Dockery. He was a, a six-foot guard, point guard, uh, and didn't really play much and transferred to Howard at the end of the season. Yeah, that was a weird, you know, he was a, he was a local kid but not, really not highly rated. And it was, it was maybe an indication of late stage uh, Turgeon that he was taking a kid who was ranked, like I believe Dockery was ranked even outside of the top 150. So unusual for, for a coach who had generally done a really nice job in recruiting and brought in a lot of highly regarded classes that he would take a chance on a guy who wasn't, seen as an automatic success and of course he wasn't and and he's elected to transfer to uh to howard as you said so then we'll go to the returning players uh first is dante scott his 6'8 230 pound senior averaged 12.6 points a game and led the team in rebounds at 6.2 he shot 43 29 and 80 and he's a guy i could i definitely remember a few games watching where he would he really sort of took over he's could create inside and get to the get to the uh, rack, and I don't think Michigan State had much trouble with him, if I recall. Maybe just watching game with against Iowa that he really just sort of torched him. But he seemed to he seemed to be a guy who could really do a lot. And again, I he may with a different team like the year before, he seemed a little more, maybe even more impactful with the with the toughness sort of level. The the big thing that changed is he went from a plus forty percent three point shooter two years ago as a sophomore to last season, what was he? 28, 29, 29. Yeah. 20. Yeah. Much lower, that's yeah. a big difference. Dante Scott is a guy I like a lot. When he was a freshman, he came in in a, as part of a highly regarded class. I believe all the other members of which, or most all of them are now gone. Um, that were much more highly hyped he came in as a freshman and forced his way into the starting lineup on a big 10 championship team without a lot of advanced billing. 
So I was impressed by that. And then his sophomore year, the COVID year, again, a six, eight guy who can shoot with some strength, who could shoot plus 40% from three. And if you're playing up on him to try to take away the deep shot has the handle to go past you. He was really tough. He was really tough on Michigan state. As I recall in those two games, they played one of the regular season, one of the tournament last year. I think you're right. I think he was easier to handle, but that was in part because he just could never find consistency with his shot. He's, I still think he's got a great deal to give and I like him as a player. I will like him even more if that shot gets back somewhere closer to where it was two years ago. It doesn't have to even be plus 40%, but if he were a mid-30s guy, it makes him even harder to guard. And that's when his ability to go past people comes into play. He's got long arms. He can give you something defensively. He can legitimately play the five. I mean, obviously, he'll struggle against the huge, huge guys. But... um Against most opponents, he'll be able to hang in there. And then at the other end, he's just a mismatch for, especially again, for bigger guys. You know, if you're Dickinson or, uh, or Edie, <laughs> yeah, you're going to get some things done against him on the blocks because he's just not big enough. But at the other end, he could torture you, particularly if that jumper is dialed in a little better. So I also like him as a passer. He, at times he's been a guy, Maryland could run stuff through in the half court. Um, just a nice overall player just needs to get that shot dialed in a little better. The next is Hakeem Hart. He's a six, eight wing averaging 9.9 points a game, 3.6 rebounds a game on 53, 33 and 85 shooting. Yeah. And, and Hart will be a starter on this team. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. You know, he's okay. Not a bad player. He came in out of high school with a shooter's reputation and he's never really had a great year shooting the basketball. I think they had visions of him maybe being something like Aaron Wiggins, who struggled with some inconsistency his first couple of years there and then really took off as a junior and had a big year and then left, um, went pro. Uh, I think they thought Hart would be a similar kind of player and that he had a similar size. They thought could have a similar effective perimeter game. That part hasn't come into play quite to the level I think they thought was possible just yet, but hope springs eternal. I think it, I think at a minimum though, you can expect he's going to see a lot of time in the wing and, and we'll start for them. I, I would be shocked if he did. Uh, next we'll discuss uh, Julian Reese. He's a six, nine, 230 pound sophomore. He had a good freshman year where he averaged 5.7 points a game, 4.4 rebounds a game in under 18 minutes. He shot 46, 30 and 80. And I, the thoughts obviously are that they can improve on those numbers and become even more dangerous. I, I think if, if you are a Maryland fan looking for reasons for optimism, it's, it's two things primarily. One is the way that even early on Kevin Willard is recruiting, which we'll talk about at the end here when we talk about the outlook, that's been encouraging. The second is, you have a guy like Reese already on the roster who I think has the potential to explode. Um, I was really impressed by him. Now the numbers are not sensational, right? You know, five and a half points, I don't know, four point something rebounds, gave you a little bit of rim protection, struggled to consistently hit the jumper. He's only 30% from three, but he showed flashes 
where you could see what's in there. And I think he's on a path that I would expect he could get to the same level as guys like Stick Smith or Bruno Fernando got to in that he's a bigger guy at around 6'9". He's athletic and skilled and can put all that together into a package that could enable him to be a true three-level scoring threat, to be a maybe not elite rebounder, but a very good rebounder, and to also give you some interior defense. Um, I see all the potential for that with him. I do think it's fair to question how quickly does he get there to that point because there's a big gulf yet between what he was last season and what those guys were, even as like sophomores. I think he's not as advanced as they were, but I do see the same kind of potential. So if you're a Maryland fan, I think he's a name that should get you excited for the future of this program because ideally, and you know, we're in this environment where anything can happen at any moment in terms of who's on your team, but ideally it's not just about this season for him, you know, as opposed to Smith, as opposed to Hart, where you're like, well, yeah, they could stick around one more year, but, but quite possibly this is kind of it for them. So your, your ceiling is limited with Reese. You've got a lot of potential room to move up. Uh, Next is Ian Martinez. He's a six, three transfer from Utah. He played 12.6 minutes a game, averaged 2.8 points per game on 33, 27 and 71 shooting. Yeah, uh, as I said, came over from Utah. Shooting numbers are abysmal, yeah. but he's a good athlete. And so that's a guy that Willard could probably find a use for somewhere in his rotation. Athletically, you you hope that he can bring something on the defensive end as a result of that and the fact that he's got some experience. And then you can hope that the shot gets dialed in at some point. Next is Pablo DeZuvia, a 6'8", 230-pound transfer from Arizona State. Uh, he played very little last year, and I guess it's questionable what exactly he'll bring to the team. Yeah, you know, Maryland's got a couple of these guys that were big guys who were young and on a team that probably needed some more help, needed some depth. They weren't able to seize that opportunity, so it makes you wonder about the long-term future, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, finally, uh, Arnaud Louvaz, he's a 6'10", 230-pound junior, and similar to DeZuvia, rarely played, but I guess we'll see what what happens. Same deal. I mean, look, there's an opportunity, right? Because you've got, you know that Reese and Scott are going to be your two post starters, but there's an opportunity behind those guys, at least in theory. Um, you know, they'll have to compete with some other new guys they brought in, but there's a chance there. But are these guys good enough to seize that? I don't know. Yeah, and this sounds this is a very similar discussion to Northwestern we had last episode. Absolutely, lots of minutes of the four and five that are just kind of it's sort of up for grabs. The the good news for those guys is it's clean slate. You know, you got a new coaching staff in, so any kind of preconceptions that the previous staff had about who you were as a player are out the window now. So at least in theory, you're starting over, which is a good thing. But I don't know if they're good enough to take advantage of that. We'll find out. So then we'll talk about new players to the team. Don Carey, he's a 6'5 grad transfer from Georgetown. He averaged 13.5 points, which was second on the team, and uh, on 42, 39, and 91 shooting, averaging 4.4 rebounds a game and 2.9 assists per game with uh, just a little over 1.5 turnovers. 
Uh, he's also the captain of the team at Georgetown. So I, you know, obviously they're hoping to really bring in a lot of leadership for the this team that definitely is certainly going to be a need for it right now. I remember when Maryland first joined the Big Ten, and I'm drawing a blank on the kid's first name, but his last name was Wells. Um, he was a transfer from Xavier. Little different situation in that he had gotten in some trouble uh, at Xavier and was kind of forced out, but got to Maryland and became a real leader of that team. I think that's what they're looking for with a kid like Kerry. Kerry was very productive in the Big East last year for Georgetown. So, you know, we talked about Wobbs productivity the year before didn't translate so well but it's a new year different guy maryland desperately needed guard help so this looks like a pretty good addition you have to like the fact that he was a captain i i take that as a positive sign when a guy was that kind of leader at his previous stop that says to me that it's likely that he's going to be able to fit in at least to what you're trying to do um and and maybe have a little less trouble adapting you never know for sure but i think it does improve your odds um look we have to see because you can't you can't just pencil in the same production and figure that's an automatic but for a team that needed guard help pretty good addition i think there's a reasonable chance that he could be uh, very productive for them at a spot where, frankly, they need it. And next is Jameer Young, a 6'1 point guard transfer from Charlotte. He averaged 19.6 a game on 47-34-89 shooting, drew a lot of fouls at 4.8 free throw attempts per game, so he's landed in the right spot if it's, his program stays the same. He's over three years at Charlotte. Uh, he also averaged 2.7 assists a game to 2.1 turnovers a game, uh, and then averaged over five rebounds a game despite being 6'1". It all in Conference USA was, I think, two-time first-team All-Conference USA pick. Yeah, a very impressive career at Charlotte. You know, two times your first your first team All-League guy. Um, the scoring numbers from last year, very impressive. Obviously means he knows how to go get a bucket. Um, doesn't look like a great shooter, an okay one. So that's maybe a little bit of a concern. You mentioned the ability to get to the foul line. It's a new coaching staff, and so right. I don't expect it's going to be built on that quite as much as it was, but it's still a nice trait to have. I just, again, you know, Conference USA, it's not it's not like you're transferring from the MEAC, but, <laughs> right, yeah. but it's also not like you're coming from the Big 12. So how well he makes that transition is up for debate. Uh, Maryland desperately needed a point guard, so they got one. And on paper, it looks like a pretty good addition. But, you know, he and Kerry have to be effective players for Maryland to be any good. I mean, there's just no way around it. Um, I, the assist to turnover numbers are not awe-inspiring. It does lead me to conclude that you may get a little more Fats Russell than you like, but that remains to be seen here. I would think too, with someone who's drawing so many fouls, you're probably driving into the lane. And I, I would expect that you have a little bit more turnovers sometimes, you know, people stripping the ball as you're going in and going by. I don't know. It just seems like if you're real aggressive going towards the basket, your chance sure. of turning over is a little bit higher too. Sure. Uh, next would be uh, Patrick Millen. He's a six, seven, 200 
10 pound uh, grad transfer from St. Francis. He also played at Western Michigan for three years. He averaged 12 and a half points a game, 6.2 rebounds per game and shot 48% from the floor and 75% from the line. So this is kind of interesting that he starts at Western in the Mac school, which I, I would imagine is a step up from St. Francis. It goes down and now it comes back to Maryland. You know, again, a necessary addition, I think for a team that doesn't have much in the way of proven depth. And, and I think he's going to be primarily a backup at the four. Um, you know, good numbers at St. Francis, but how well does that translate to the Big Ten level? Your guess is as good as mine. I think there's ample reason to be skeptical. But if you've got a guy like that in the right role, which I think Maryland will, where they're not going to ask him to come in and play 25 minutes a night, you could get an upside surprise. You could get a guy, oh, he was pretty good in 15 minutes a night. And they can use that. As we talked about, they've got these big guys that are unproven completely unproven uh, you know the, the, here's another name and one who's actually played a lot of minutes at the d1 level so we'll see how productive he is but um i think realistically they're not going to be asking a huge amount from him it's going to be a little more limited but we'll, we'll see how well he does it's certainly when you have so much uncertainty at those positions it's helpful to have a large pool not only just because you have more to draw from but also that i think yeah. you can push each other and probably get better Absolutely. together too right Absolutely. Uh, next, next would be Jahari Long. He's a 6'5 transfer from Seton Hall who followed uh, Willard. He's averaging only 0.8 points per game, uh, started two out of five games, but was injured last season. But obviously Willard thinks he can be something else because he recruited him and he's following his old coach. Yeah, and, and despite his size of 6'5", they, they seem to feel he's got an on-ball future, which is interesting. Uh, the numbers were, you know, you could draw nothing from them, but yeah. it was interesting to me that of the five games he was able to play before he shut it down, he did start two of them. So Willard obviously likes him and then had him follow Willard to, to Maryland. Um, so if he's healthy, I would expect that he's a guy who can challenge for a role. I wouldn't expect him to beat out Jan as a starter, but I would think he could play some. Next is Ike Cornish, six uh, six redshirt freshman, He's uh, a top 100 recruit out of high school, and the hope is that he can be a, a shooter. Yeah, and he's he's got some athleticism, too. I mean, anytime you've got a guy who was rated that highly as a recruit, you have to think there's at least the potential that they can turn into a contributor. So he redshirted last season. I didn't see any indication. I don't recall hearing anything about injury problems, so it does make you wonder on a bad team that needed bodies, why a top 100 guy wasn't able to earn a role. But um, we'll see this year if he's able to make good on his advanced billing, because at least on paper, you would assume, well, there's a chance for a guy like that to play some. Yeah, you would expect that players who are talented are very unlikely to be to redshirt anymore without an injury, right? That Right. Yeah, yeah. You can just find some place to get But there some may minutes. have been something going on that I just was, was not able sure. to find out and research it. Next is Noah Batchelor. He's a 6'6 freshman out of Maryland. He was originally committed to Memphis, but reopened his recruitment and ended up with Maryland. Yeah, and this was a good, I think, a good get and, and a good early indicator of what Willard may be able to do as a recruiter. He is a Maryland kid, but obviously with the situation the way it was, with the Terps, he wasn't going to commit there. So he committed to Memphis. I believe he decommitted in January or February when it looked like that program was imploding. 
You can yeah. understand why. And uh, and then Willard was able to get him. Um, decently regarded player, not a not a linchpin kind of recruit, but a solid guy. You know, borderline top one hundred type. Um, and again, a Wayne on a team that can use some help there. So there might be a chance for him to earn a role immediately. We'll see. And finally, Caleb uh, Swanton Roger, 6'11", 220-pound freshman out of Calgary, Alberta. And really don't know much about him except that he's Canadian, eh? Yep. Uh, big kid. They think in time could be a very skilled big man, but I I would say it's probably fair to assume that he's going to need at least a year to develop. Not unusual for, for big men. Yeah. And, you know, again, Willard's coming in late in those circumstances, you're just not going to be able to do very much. So, you know, you get one kid who's a decent prospect at bachelor, and then you take a flyer on a big kid. That's, it's hard to criticize that approach. Yeah, you know, you're cobbling together a team after a strange situation. The interim coach leaves, and you're half, and you're, as you mentioned before, you're trying to establish an identity for a new team. Clearly, they've added some parts. They've got some pieces from before who are known quantities like uh, Dante Scott. Uh, but you still don't have them predicted very high in the Big Ten at number 11. So, I mean, I guess they're clearly, you've mentioned the deficiencies. How far do you think they can go, and do you think they can fall much beyond into the really the bottom of the Big Ten? they could finish lower than this because they're in this group of, you know, say four or five teams that I think truthfully, there could be a lot of volatility in terms of the way that I've picked them. I've given them an edge. I think primarily because I think, I think so much of Scott, I think Reese could explode, could be much better this year than he was as a freshman. And then, you know, the two transfer guards, at least give you hope that they could be productive enough that this team is a threat. I don't know that I believe the upside is much from here though. I don't know that I think that there's any super realistic path to being tournament good. Um, but you never know if, if they get some huge upside surprises, maybe, but right now looking at it, you know, I, I would say, I would say 10th to 14th is the range for Maryland. I could see them dead last. I don't expect it, but I could see it. Do you, do you think like you have a response or let's say Reese turns into a Johnny Davis, right? Like Wisconsin didn't look like they were bringing back much last year and they have right. a superstar who's, who's on their team who no one really, I think appreciated knew was there. If Reese gets that big, you, can you see with Maryland really making a charge at the end? I mean, do they not have enough other parts Yes, but I think here's the thing, Johnny Davis, while you're right, I didn't see that coming that he would be as good as he was. I thought he was going to be really good. I just didn't think he was going to be player of the year level. Good. Um, He had shown more Reese is further behind. Now Reese has upside, but Reese didn't have a freshman year as good as Davis had. He didn't have one as good as Murray had at Iowa, even when those guys were, were kind of considered to be under the radar. If you watched Big Ten basketball two years ago, you knew that those guys were good. You just might have been as surprised as I was that they went from good to fantastic rather than good to very good. Reese has got more ground to cover. 
And overall, I, you know, it's obviously we have not seen the team. We've not seen him coaching, but it, it, my impression from you is that Willard's a pretty good hire of someone who that Maryland should be pretty happy with and that he's at least shown good signs initially, right, with recruiting, et cetera. He's doing a great job at 23 recruiting. He's already got, um, I believe, three top 100 kids or two top 100 kids and one just outside. Um, so he's done a nice job, and he's getting guys from home turf. So that's a good early indicator because, uh, again, that's going to be the lifeblood of your program, you know, is getting when you're in a, at a school like that, there's no reason why you shouldn't make that the key to your thing is keeping the right guys at home and building around them. And it looks like he's getting that done early on. Um, how it all translates remains to be seen. I think relative to what was possible in a hiring for that job, I think that he was a pretty reasonable get. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there was any reason to be upset by it. I don't, if you're a Maryland fan, I don't think, I understand people not doing cartwheels because cartwheels is, you know, oh my God, we got a guy who's a proven national right. title contender and, you know, has been to final fours, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's not that, but you weren't the only way you're ever going to get a guy like that is if one comes unexpectedly on the market because they're having problems with their athletic department, which doesn't happen very often to that degree, or you, you just happen to have a guy who's a superstar and he has some deep connection to your program, you know, Roy Williams leaving Kansas for North Carolina. That's a good example of it. He'd been an assistant there forever. He graduated from there. It made sense. Those situations, uh, Chris Beard going from Texas Tech to Texas. He was a Texas alum. You know, those situations don't all, aren't always present when you're in a hiring mode where there's a guy like that who's a sure thing that has connections to your school. And Maryland just didn't have that kind of connection with anybody, apparently, who was a superstar. So you go out, you make the best hire you reasonably can. And I think I think Willard is probably that, you know, will he succeed? I, I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I think he's proven enough that I would be surprised if he doesn't have a decent level of success in that job. Meaning that, you know, more often than not, they're a tournament team. They have occasional years where they can contend in the Big Ten, you know, those types of things. Um, I think he's proven to be good enough that with with the advantages that the Maryland job gives you, I would be a little bit surprised if he's not able to do that eventually. And you expect that he'd have an easier time of it coming into a situation in Maryland that's not very good much better than say someone that coming into Rutgers. Absolutely. Because the, 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 just the, yeah, the, the advantages that you get being at a school with tradition, a school that cares about basketball, um, a school that sits in the middle of all that recruiting turf, you know, all of those things. Yeah. It, it should make it easier, you know? Um, so I would expect uh, the, the problem he's got is he's not going to get the long leash that Steve Peichel got or that somebody like Micah Shrewsbury has at Penn state 
or Ben Johnson has at Minnesota where he, they're probably going to get a little longer leash. Um, at Maryland, I would say he gets a mulligan this year, but by next season, he better be at least pushing for a tournament bid. I mean, that's just how it is in, in a job like that. Yeah. Well, and that's what you expect when you're coming in with not you know, in a bad state of affairs, right? It's not Northwestern. So. He will. I will say this. I think he failed to make the tournament his first six years at Seton Hall. He will not get six years to make his first tournament at Maryland. That I can assure you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I know for those of you who are not sure who is going to be the number 11 team, hopefully you're excited about Maryland. We're going to talk about Penn State next week. I'd also like to remind you that if you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do so. Be sure to share it with your friends and join us over at our forum. It's free. You can join in the conversation with us in our community at TFFINOTS.com or the final four is not on the schedule.com, whichever you prefer. And until next time, the final four is not on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.